Experience the joy of running in the new Triumph 22 from Saucony, the original running brand. Stacked with luxury foam cushioning, Triumph 22 turns miles into smiles with the ultimate blend of comfort and energy return. Shop Triumph 22 at Saucony.com. That's S-A-U-C-O-N-Y.com. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all handpicked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard, so is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. All right, welcome to Bet the Edge. I'm Jay Croucher. Today, we're going to bring in Ben Brown from PFF to talk about an array of futures markets in the NFL. Uh, We're also going to uh, play a little game of Would You Rather in terms of some NFL markets uh, of the same kind of flavor. Uh, And then we'll also talk some Roland Garros and Game 1 of the NBA Finals, uh, where unfortunately, I'm riding with the Miami Heat. Much to my chagrin, Rudinsic. But let's start off talking about the NFL uh, and a couple of competing propositions uh, around the same kind of element. So we're going to present two different bets, uh, and you tell me which would you prefer to back at the price. So Bijan Robinson, kick us off, offensive rookie of the year. He's plus three hundred, and the Atlanta Falcons, incredibly, to win a division in the NFL, the NFC South. They're plus two forty to do that. Which bet do you prefer? Yeah, this is a fascinating thought exercise because I think everything that we're going to talk about today has fundamentally a correct answer. Um, and this one is Bijan Robinson, Rookie of the Year. There are plenty of paths to him winning the award without the Falcons winning the division, I think. Um, and realistically, if, you know, if, if his production is... Uh, to the level we expect, considering the offense season and you know just in general the the soft schedule that, that presents to him, then uh, you know he's going to be in the um, you know among the top five ten producers uh, in the NFL from the running back position this season, and it's going to be impossible to ignore him uh, much in the way that it was impossible to ignore uh, Sack Barkley back in the day when he was up against quarterbacks who were winning division titles and up against you know just out just a pretty deep field of, of very good rookies, and he was but he was the best because of the uh, volume and the opportunity, and Bijan Robinson sits in that same spot. Now, yes, there's the entire. Um, kind of pivot point for the Falcons winning the AFC, NFC South, it, it comes down to how does Desmond Ritter play? More, much more so than Bijan Robinson. Uh, and so I think there are certainly a paths where the Falcons underwhelm, where Ritter is not the guy, where they win six, seven games, but uh, Robinson is still live for that award. And so better price combined with the fact that there are more outs, uh, you have to take uh, Robinson. Yep, I agree. I think Bijan, just in isolation, is a good bet at plus 300. I think the way to approach this award is not how does he win, but how does he lose? Um, And the way that he would lose is obviously injury. Uh, Maybe Tyler Algier uh, is in a committee with Bijan and he's not getting as many touches as one would expect. That would seem unlikely given they spent pick eight in the draft on him uh, and are the most run-heavy team 
in the league. And then outside of that, you're trying to dodge an outlier quarterback performance and we'll get to some of the quarterbacks. But Bijan, I mean, the thing with Bijan is that like he might go second in fantasy drafts. Like, <laughs> insane for a rookie. And fantasy is, I think, a fairly efficient market just with all the attention that is placed upon it. And there's huge correlation between fantasy output and winning offensive rookie of the year, offensive player of the year, awards that are largely are about statistical production. Like you don't need to be on a good team to win offensive rookie of the year. Uh, I think it's kind of baked in. Same with rookie of the year markets across other sports. It's kind of baked in that, you know, if you're an outstanding rookie, uh, there's a good chance that your team might not be that good. Uh, and so with Bijan, I mean, yeah, he has a path to 2,000 scrimmage yards and 15 touchdowns and being viewed as the next great running back. Uh, and so I think that plus 300 is a pretty good bet for Offensive Rookie of the Year. And, yeah, you don't have to worry about the, the Atlanta Falcons and Desmond Ritter winning game for, uh, for a shorter price. Uh, let's move around in that wonderful division and talk about Bryce Young, who is plus 450 to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. Would you rather bet that? Would you rather bet the Panthers to win the NFC South at plus 375? So another one that I think has a very correct answer, and that is Bryce Young plus 450. Because if the form, if the later is true, if the Panthers win the South, the idea that it's not on the base, you know, the, 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 um, the world in which they win the South, but Bryce Young gets hurt and Andy Dalton carries them to a title. I mean, like what we're talking about, extremely low probability stuff at that point. Um, if they win the division, it's because he's playing well. It's because and he's going to get the credit. I mean, when it comes to awards, particularly for the young quarterbacks, QB wins is really kind of the avenue where people kind of reckon that, well, like, yeah, maybe his statistics don't look great. Maybe his efficiency is not incredible. His EP per play is pedestrian, but, he won 10 games, so he's good, right? Like, that's sort of the uh, way that people kind of shape their thoughts about young quarterback play. Um, and so if Bryce Young and the Panthers win enough games uh, to be the a NFC South champions, he almost certainly will be enormous favorite to win that uh, Rookie of the Year award, in my opinion. Now, I don't think that's really that likely. I think the Panthers have some holes that people aren't really kind of giving due credit uh, too and honestly, if the Panthers win the NFC South, it's probably be, be it's probably because they have this dynamic defense that uh, you know kind of can hold their opponents into the seventeen to twenty point range, and they just eke out enough wins to win that division. Um, but at the same time, you know Bryce Young will get the credit for the wins, uh, and ultimately, I, I think the likelihood of the Panthers winning the South, but anyone else getting the award is pretty low. Where are you in the same park, or do you think that someone? Uh, you know, that there's going to be a case to make against Bryce Young in the uh, even though the Panthers uh, win the division. No, I'd slightly lean to rather backing Bryce to win O'Roy. I think the thing is, you know, to your point, like you don't need to have wins um, to win this award, but it helps a lot, particularly if you're a quarterback where it's so central to the narrative. And I think the thing to keep in mind with this is that if it's a close race, the tiebreak generally goes to the quarterback. I think back to Dak Prescott beating Ezekiel Elliott, um, obviously his teammate back in 2016, where Zeke had, I think, 2,000 scrimmage yards, 16 touchdowns, and Dak was efficient but didn't have loud counting stats but still won O'Roy. Think back to Justin Herbert beating Justin Jefferson in a landslide uh, in a race that probably should have been a little bit closer, but just because 
Herbert was the quarterback, and quarterback is obviously the more valuable position. The the uh, exception would be Jamar Chase beating Mac Jones, uh, which like, ultimately I would disagree with. I thought Mac Jones probably should have won, uh, and certainly my bank account won <laughs> well. But I think that that was just one. Chase had all the momentum. He had that, what, like 260-yard game, three touchdowns late in the season. And I think relative to position, the gap was maybe uh, a little bit bigger than Herbert uh, and Jefferson. Uh, at least that's what voters seem to think. So... I think that, yeah, tiebreak generally goes to the quarterback. And if the Panthers do win the South, then Bryce Young is a pretty heavy favorite to win Offensive Rookie of the Year, um, particularly as they will have won the division over Bijan Robinson, yeah. uh, which will help his case. Let's, uh, let's go to the AFC South now, uh, another super inspiring division in the NFL. Anthony Richardson is 7-1 to one to win O'Roy and the Indianapolis Colts fallen giants uh everyone's super bowl sleeper not that long ago uh towards the end of 2021 uh when they were beating the patriots uh in prime time and all of that that's fallen apart pretty quickly uh and they are plus 550 to win the afc south what do you prefer here this one, I think, uh, is an obvious neither. <laughs> but uh, given those two choices alone in a vacuum, it's the Colts. Uh, and it's because I think there's a very realistic chance that uh, this is a redshirt year for Anthony Richardson entirely. Um, yes, he is certainly the future of the quarterback position in Indianapolis, but uh, you currently have a situation where head coach Shane Steichen um, is brought in his backup from Philadelphia, Gardner Minshew, to be QB1 to start the season. Um, and in a world where the Colts win the AFC South, it's largely because all of the talented players stay healthy and play well and support Minshew and they get surprising wins and Trevor Lawrence gets hurt. And in that world, Minshew probably retains the quarterback position throughout the majority of the season, at least enough of the season that you don't have enough of a sample size where Anthony Richardson, uh, you know, can get credit. Yeah, I think the, 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 the analog I would make for Anthony Richardson and the Colts winning the division would be Lamar Jackson and the, um, Baltimore Ravens winning it as when he was a rookie. Uh, they were well out of it. They bring in Lamar Jackson, I think, in week, we'll say, 10. Uh, he won six or seven out of his you know seven starts. And uh, they went on to win the uh, a week AFC North that year. Um, and even, despite the fact that Lamar Jackson specifically was – you know, the reason that the Baltimore Ravens made a playoffs improbably, uh, he didn't get consideration over uh, Saquon Barkley because uh, he didn't play enough of the season. And I think that's what Anthony Richardson is staring at. Even if he is good enough to get the Colts across the finish line, if he comes in in relief midway through the season, I, I think the, um, you know, he may be looking at a Brock Purdy type of situation. He may be looking at a Lamar Jackson where he just hasn't played enough games to get consideration. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, and I agree the Colts win the division is the better angle, though an uninspiring angle all the same. I mean, at the same time, I mean, this Colts team still does have talent uh, in that, you know, the defense was perfectly solid enough last year and shouldn't be drastically worse. Uh, and I also I think that the offense, which was, you know, a complete catastrophe last season, that should be better as well just through health. Jonathan Taylor was banged up all of last year. When he did play, he'll be healthier I mean, there's still Michael Pittman. There's still some potential talent uh, in the receiving core. And the offensive line, 
which has been a disaster for two years. I mean, there's still talent on this line. It doesn't really make sense that this line has been so bad and that, you know, there's still Quentin Nelson, still Braden Smith. There's still pieces on the line. Um, I think another way, if you believe in the Colts, is to bet Shane Steichen at 22-1 to 1 to win Coach of the Year. And the, I guess the, the angle on that is that if you think that Shane Steichen is a 30% chance or better to win Coach of the Year if the Colts win the division, then you're better off betting the 22-1 to 1, uh, for him to win Coach of the Year instead of the plus 550 to win the AFC South. I think that's probably about right around that range just because there's a good chance that they win the division. It's going to be at 10-7. and 7. And he's not going to get the New York media bump um, of being a you know a nine ten win playoff team uh, in Indianapolis. But what do you think of Steichen versus uh, versus the South? I did not even think to go in that direction, but you solved it, Jay. Yeah. If you have, yeah, honestly, if you're if you're going to try to capitalize on what is a bad division and you want some you know upside, it's the Colts. If you want some variance. It's the Colts, and at price, you're going to do a lot better with Stike and Coach of the Year than you are going to do Colts to win at plus 550. So um, I actually really like that uh, as just a general, like even like oh, this was a good thought exercise for the most part. I'm not taking a ton of action in any of these markets, um, at least as of today. Uh, but uh, I'm going to go shop around Stike and Coach of the Year because that that is he's got the talent on the roster if they stay healthy. And if anything happens at all to Trevor Lawrence, then, you know, the door is wide open. So um, Shane Steichen, coach of the yep. year. Good bet. Yeah. And I think Steichen as well, he does have kind of a guru aspect uh, with what he did with the Eagles. He's got that rep and he'll have a clean narrative of, you know, look, he turned Jalen Hurts into an MVP candidate. And now he's got Anthony Richardson uh, leading a team to win the division. Uh, if this is the angle that we're taking. So yeah, I don't think 22 to one uh, is a bad price on Mr. Steichen. All right, before we bring in Ben Brown, a reminder to download the Roto World app to receive breaking player news all season long. Stay ahead of the competition by favoriting players on your roster. Get the latest injury updates, player news, and much more delivered right to your phone. It's available in the App Store today. All right, let's bring in Ben Brown from PFF. Ben, thanks very much for joining us. I hope you're well. We talked a little bit about Offensive Rookie of the Year uh, in the first segment, do you have any angles around this market and this award? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to say you guys stole my thunder in a lot of ways, but I was very much kind of on the Anthony Richardson hype train. I would say I know I know every year is you know unique in a lot of ways. We have seen you know wide receiver win it the two previous seasons. Probably should have been three straight seasons in a lot of ways, but you know the draft capital, everything else doesn't really seem like it's going to be there for any of these wide receivers. I would say given their current. Um, you know, price in the betting market. And I'm and I'm looking at Anthony Richardson, and I know you guys talked about maybe Shane Steichen, the better approach being Shane Steichen potentially to be coach of the year. I think there I think there's some variance outcomes with Anthony Richardson, which would maybe lead me to bet him as offense of the rookie of the year as opposed to Shane Steichen. I think, you know, we're we're obviously gonna see some, you know, gaudy type plays, some plays that are really gonna be off the charts from him this season if he does come close to reaching the offense of the rookie of the year. Uh, and I think with those high highs, we could also see some low lows. And I think that might be, 
you know the justification for why Shane Steichen doesn't actually get to be coach of the year at the end, but still could very much see, I would say, Anthony Richardson potentially win this award, kind of based on those explosive plays alone. And if they do get above, you know, that six and a half game win total, but maybe don't win the division, I think, you know, it's setting up for maybe him to kind of have a path to still be, I would say, the offensive rookie of the year. So I like him a, a decent amount. I think fading Bajan Robinson for a number of different reasons is very much the direction I want to go from a betting perspective. So I, I think Anthony Richardson makes the most sense from a quarterback perspective. And if I wanted to play, you know, a wide receiver, I do think Zay Flowers probably has, I would say the clearest path right now to early opportunities. And if that happens, uh, he could easily run away with the number one wide receiver job for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, so if you want to buy into them a little bit in the AFC, I do think Zay Flowers is kind of the, the under the radar candidate a little bit that I would definitely want to buy into to for offensive rookie of the year. That's interesting. So you think Richardson's ceiling is high enough upside that he could steal the starting job in camp from Gardner Minshew, even though you got a little bit of an incumbency there just with Shane Steichen's system and Gardner Minshew having been the backup in Philly last year? Yeah, I mean, I do think it is a really interesting point, but I think, you know, given the state of the rest of the Colts roster, like they they absolutely have to figure out what they have with Anthony Richardson, I would say, as quickly as possible. I think Steichen kind of understands that emphasis because kind of like you guys said in the previous segment, like they should still have a really solid offensive line. They do have, you know, some skill position activity, but I do think that they kind of need to grow with a young quarterback. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see Anthony Richardson potentially win an out of training camp. I do think, you know, the schedule kind of sets up for them to go with him early on. Um, there has to be a little bit of concern, but I think, you know, some of that maybe is reflected in, you know, his current price as being, you know, the, the third the third shortest odds from the quarterback position to win the offensive rookie of the year. I think he probably has a little bit more uncertainty to start right away than Bryce Young or CJ Stroud, but I still think we kind of see that happen, I would say, in training camp. Mm. Can you, you kind of mentioned uh, Zay Flowers' potential for stealing the wide receiver one role uh, from the Ravens. Can you talk me through how that uh, how that happens and how to capitalize on that if it does happen? Yeah, I was a little I would say a little bit more bullish on this happening before, you know, we heard Rashad Bateman potentially, you know, running in OTAs. I still mm-hmm. think he is, you know, I, I would say going to be a later starter or, or addition to training camp practices being full go. I think he probably starts at least limited, if not mainly working on the sideline with the trainers, because it does sound like they are potentially at least trying to slow him down a little bit from getting into full contact action as quickly as possible. So I think with that and with, you know, Odell Beckham Jr. kind of, you know, uh, coming off of the ACL injury as well. He should be back and in the fold, but he's still a veteran guy that I, I don't know if you can expect him to run, you know, 70 plus percent of pass routes this season. I think the expectation from the Ravens has to be closer to 50%. So I think, you know, they do have guys behind him and Devin Duvernay um, and, and some other pieces, but I still think Zay Flowers with where they drafted him at, you know, could very much kind of slot into that slot wide receiver position as quickly as possible. And if that happens, you know, there is some target share that needs to go to both tight ends. But uh, outside of them, I do think that Zay Flowers could, I would say, emerge relatively quickly and, and, and kind of be the focal point at the wide receiver position early on, I would say, given the injury situations that maybe still need to be fleshed out with the other wide receivers. Yep. Sticking with Mr. Flowers, he is plus 800 to our lead <laughs> All rookies in receiving yards. Jordan Addison's the favorite there, plus 225, given he's got a pretty clear path to being a wide receiver too. Jackson Smith in Jigbers, plus 275. He's going to have, I think, a fair bit of competition. 
in the Seattle receiving court. And then you've got Quinton Johnson also ahead of Zay Flowers before you get to the longer shots, guys like Mingo and Rice and even Kincaid. Uh, I assume here, Ben, that Zay Flowers is going to be your favorite bet. He is. I mean, I do agree with Jordan Addison having the clearest path to, I would say, you know, relevant snaps right away, right away in a really good, you know, target share. But there's still, you know, KJ Osborne is definitely in the fold, has some continuity with the Minnesota Vikings. I know he's very much kind of, you know, just a guy, but, you know, at, at this stage of the, you know, of Odell Beckham Jr.'s career, I'm not sure that he's gonna offer a ton right away as well. So I'm not saying that KJ Osborne and Odell Beckham are comparable players, but I think, the path to Zay Flowers being relevant right away is not quite as clear as Jordan Addison, but I don't think it's as unlikely as him being, you know, the fourth, the, the fourth shortest odds in this market in comparison to Jordan Addison. I do think he's probably clearer um, to get a higher target share than what Jackson Smith and Jigba and Quentin Johnson both have right now. So as the fourth most likely favorite, I do think he is definitely the spot that I want to be targeting right now. Yeah, this is a fun, complicated market. And uh, I guess the big question at least around flowers to kind of close the book on him is really just what how does he fit in what role does todd munkin ultimately see and what is going to be a totally brand new offense and uh you know i think it's going to drive a lot of bets in the first quarter of the season for me once we kind of get our heads wrapped around whether munkin's offense fits perfectly with the pieces he has to work with uh because if it does if there is synergy there then these guys are going to be scoring 35 points a game (laughs) because lamar jackson uh has that level of kind of unstoppability to him uh so yeah very interested to see how it plays out um the other kind of big name in the wide receiver space who i'm curious your thoughts on is of course new copkins uh released by the cardinals hasn't really been able to get a uh, a good, uh, like a clear suitor, um, despite the fact that he's been pretty vocal that he wants to play with a top fl- flight quarterback. Um, do you see a good fit for him? And do you think that there is a realistic expectation that he could be a difference maker in what is, you know, looks to be at least a, a pretty competitive AFC this year? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I do think, you know, the, the top two teams with where they're priced at do make the most sense. To me, Kansas City, this is, uh, it doesn't feel like a typical, I would say, Brett Beach type move, especially given the time frame with which they'd have to bring him in. I know there's definitely a need for, you know, a prototypical number one wide receiver in that offense, but it seems like they're very much set on Patrick Mahomes kind of being the guy and, and could very much just, you know, navigate around other issues. And as long as they have Travis Kelsey, they maybe don't need that, you know, that, that DeAndre Hopkins type piece. And they might view him in a lot of ways with what they had with Juju Smith-Schuster last year. And I think that was in some ways a miss for them. So I just don't see him potentially landing in Kansas City. I think the dark horse team that maybe intrigues me the most, and I do think this kind of, you know, depends on, you know, uh, Hopkins wanting to play for a contender, but maybe wanting to avoid the AFC is very much the, the Dallas Cowboys. I know Michael Gallup's going to be back and in the fold. They're saying he's as healthy as he's ever been in a lot of ways, but I still think they have a need at the secondary wide receiver position. I do think the Cowboys, you know, can very much make a case as the second or third best team in the NFC right now. And if, and, and if you're kind of saying that they, they probably need to close the gap with Philadelphia, uh, they have roughly around like 11 million in cap space, which I assume is, you know, very much in line with what they could potentially give DeAndre Hopkins right now. and might need to shuffle a couple other things around, but I think that's probably where I would most want to see him go. And I think he probably has the biggest impact in that offense. And I do think it could very much, you know, move the Cowboys a lot closer to where they need to be in order to kind of knock off Philadelphia as the top team coming out of the NFC. Yep. 
would be a very Jerry move as well to get New Hopkins, uh, the big name. Uh, ben, we haven't spoken to you since the schedule release. Was there anything uh, in terms of week one markets that jumped out to you or any futures markets uh, that are appealing now that we know the schedule and all the sequencing? Yeah, I mean, I think one team that at least I would say improved from my outlook on them, and I know we've talked a lot about them, and I know Drew brought up some good points with Todd Monken as well and, and what that offense is going to look like. But I think from a schedule perspective, like a lot of things broke really well for Baltimore. They don't have any, you know, they don't have the three consecutive road games. Uh, their most challenging, I would say, schedule is kind of late in the season, week 15 and week 16, they have to go to Jacksonville, to San Francisco. Uh, but outside of that, I, I think it's relatively friendly. It's somewhat easy to start, and then they have Cincinnati right away. But I think from you know a schedule perspective, things broke really well for them, and I very much think they are probably going to be uh, you know in contention down the stretch too in that AFC North and don't really have, I, I would say, a really difficult schedule from what PFF is kind of you know projecting out for how these teams actually rate. We have them with the 25th most difficult strength of schedule based on our current PFF ELO ratings. Um, you know, obviously things are going to shift in that area, but uh, I think when you look at the AFC and specifically the AFC North, you would expect them to have probably a much more difficult schedule than what's actually been set up for them. So I think they're probably you know the one team I think had had a lot of things kind of break correctly for them from the schedule release. Yeah, and I think it's kind of gone a little bit under the radar that uh, the Ravens gave the Bengals a much tougher game in the playoffs uh, with Tyler Huntley than the Bills did with Josh Allen and also having home field flipped in those games. So, yeah, the Ravens certainly seem like a sleeping giant that probably should be talked about more, you know, in the same breath as that big three uh, of Kansas City, Cincinnati and Buffalo. All right, Ben, thank you so much for joining us. Everyone can follow Ben uh, on Twitter at pff underscore ben brown can you tell people what you're working on at the moment ben yeah a lot of a lot of things behind the scenes we're hoping to have some you know futures content week one content coming out quickly but a lot of that other stuff is you know fantasy and betting tools that uh you know are going to be ready for the season here and that's kind of our priority as things slow down here until training camp so definitely make sure you you know uh, keep an eye out for all those great things coming up awesome thank you ben look forward to speaking to you soon all right before we get to Roland Garros, just a reminder, uh, Sunday morning means MLB leadoff. Drew, watch exclusive live games all season long on Peacock this week. Check out an NL Central battle between my friend Paul Goldschmidt and St. Louis Cardinal <laughs> and the Pittsburgh Pirates in Pittsburgh. Catch this action live Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The Premier League is built on hope. The hope of discovering a new star. It doesn't take long for Darwin Nunez to make an impression. The hope of rewriting history. And the hope of continuing a dynasty. Unstoppable week after week. This is the Premier League on NBC, USA and Peacock. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! 
And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics, Friday, July 26th on NBC and Peacock. All right, Friday, wake and cash bets. Uh, we're still waiting on the full results of uh, yesterday's tips as Nicholas Jarry uh, is about to get started against Tommy Paul uh, as we watch Yannick Sinner uh, continue to melt uh, in true Yannick Sinner fashion. Uh, what have you got, Drew, for Friday? Yeah, so I got hooked yesterday uh, on uh, robot. Robot hooked me. Uh, six game margin for uh, Robakina against um, uh, Noskova. Um, so I need a winner, man. Um, I'm gonna go somewhat chalky here, uh, and I'm gonna take uh, Novak Djokovic to win in straight sets against Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. Um, people kind of looked at this potential round three matchup as the first spot you could see Djokovic getting a little bit of uh, uh, trouble however um, I think realistically uh, what we saw from Djokovic last night against Fukovic who was playing as well as I've ever seen Fukovic play uh, Djokovic just absolutely ate him for dinner in sets two and three there it was wild to see the level he was able to produce and I think that was exactly what he needed to start building some momentum uh, to what ultimately will be a French Open title for Mr. Uh, Novak and I think the market expects this to be competitive to the degree of uh, ADF winning a set I do not see it Djokovic is uh, even money to win 3-0 uh, and I think that is the best way to attack this one as I think uh, you look at some of the other matches that these two have played when they have been somewhat peaking or at least when Djokovic has been peaking and I look back to 2021 prior to Djokovic winning the French Open uh, Davidovich Fikina ran into him in Rome Djokovic won 6-2-6-1. It was one of his more dominant performances as he went on to win the Rome title and then back it up with a French Open win. So Djokovic 3-0 for me, uh, and I think realistically this is uh, uh, this is one you can sleep through. Yep, I like it. I was surprised that Djokovic is minus 750 on the money line even. Uh, I thought that would have been north of minus 1,000, but uh, I guess he has been a little bit patchy with his form, but would expect that he will take care of business tomorrow. I'm going with uh, my good friend Elise Mertens, plus oh, four and a half games on the handicap against uh, our American friend Jess Pagula. Pagula's form has been a little bit scratchy coming into Roland Garros, losing to a qualifier in Rome. Uh, straight sets lost in Madrid to Kuda Matova as well, who didn't cover herself in glory in Paris. So I think that Mertens, Mertens is kind of a player who is just uh, destined to lose 7-6-6-4 to a slightly superior player. That's kind of uh, her go. But I think that she's live on the money line at plus 210 as well to just beat Pagula outright. But uh, like the little buffer of plus four and a half games on the handicap, what do you think of Mertens' chances? Uh, I played her money line, uh, so nice. I agree with you. Uh, I think that uh, her particular form right now is being overlooked by the market. Um, she is playing some very, very good tennis. Uh, I think she ultimately crashes out in the semifinals here, but I have her very live to win Q3. Q3 is weak, uh, and Mertens is the class player in this division, despite the fact that Pagula, of course, has produced more spectacular results in her career. This is not her surface, and uh, Mertens, uh, I think, gets the job done outright. So give me, give me the, give me the outright. I, would you take the games plus four and a half or something? Yeah, plus four and a half. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, like the outright as well. I think that Mertens, I mean, 
it's kind of gone under the radar. Like, she very easily could have made the final of Wimbledon last year, yeah. and that's her worst surface. Uh, had she gotten past Ons Jabeur, which she really, not saying should have, but very easily could have. She had the first set in hand, uh, and then from there, she would have had a very easy path to the final. So, yeah, like Elise Mertens to uh, get the job done tomorrow against Jess Pagula. Let's close out quickly with a little NBA Finals chat, given that Game 1 is, of course, tonight. The Nuggets are eight-and-a-half-point favourites, trending towards nine, at least bouncing between those two numbers. The total is 219-and-a-half, so much higher than the Celtics' heat games were closing by the end of that series. Uh, I don't feel good at all about my heat position in the series. I'm expecting this to be a short series, and the Nuggets, particularly in Game 1 with the rest advantage, also, with Jimmy Butler's comments yesterday about his ankle, um, saying that he's got a bum ankle, but no one's going to give him any sympathy. Uh, that's not what I wanted to hear. Uh, someone who's on the heat. Uh, so not feeling good about this one at all. But at the same time, uh, everyone wrote the heat off uh, in the, the Bucks series, in the Celtics series. And uh, lest we forget, they were underdogs to the New York Knicks as well. So what do you make of game one? Yeah, this is a bad. This is kind of the uh, the situation of death for teams in playoffs past. So the historical context here is uh, this big of a rest disadvantage and on the road, um, you are winning twenty percent of the games, and uh, the spread reflects the big disadvantage. The average spread in twenty eight games we have that have a similar sample or a similar uh, situation. <laughs> Uh, eight points spread for the home team and they are covering 65% of the time, usually by about three points. So the average margin of victory is about 11. Um, all this to say that I don't think the Heat's chances are very good tonight. Uh, I think realistically, any kind of entry you can get on the Nuggets, if um, they show a little bit of rust in the first quarter or first half, uh, you take advantage of it. I'm, you know, I definitely vividly remember the first half of that uh, Nuggets Lakers game. So I would not play the heat <laughs> early in this one. Um, the crowd had that team so, so fired up uh, for the um, uh, first half of that game. And they played with their absolute hair on fire and ran away in game one against the Lakers and realistic expectation that you see something similar. Uh, I like uh, if you want a specific bet that I made on today's game, I bet the team total over. Uh, for the Denver Nuggets, I think they get to 120 here, uh, and actually, I think that actually makes the uh, the full game over bettable. Uh, although I'm nervous that the uh, I'm nervous that the Heat don't get to 100. Yeah, well, my big bet for the series and the only bet I've made recently on the finals is Caleb Martin to average under 16 and a half points for Ooh. the series. I think that's a really high number given that Tyler Hero yeah. is coming back and at some point, Caleb Martin will miss a shot. Uh, I suspect it will begin tonight. So uh, that's my favorite bet for the finals. All right, we are done. Don't forget to check out NBCSportsEdge.com for more information to help you with your wages. Thanks again to Ben Brown from PFF, from myself, Jay Croucher, and Drew Ginsick. We will chat to you tomorrow. Cheers.